0: When is the right time to start thinking about selling the business? What are the steps? What do you have to do in order to sell your business?
1: Ask yourself, if I remove myself from the business, could it still earn the same income as earning without um, your presence? And that will sure enough give you the answer.
0: Welcome to The Goodish Show, the show on SaaS marketing from actionable tips and tricks to insightful interviews with industry leaders. Hello everyone. Today with me, Eric. Eric is a startup founder. He founded two startups, uh, and then later he became a director of AM Digital Group. Hello, Eric.
1: How you doing, Francie?
0: <laughs> I'm fine, thanks. Uh, so thank you for for joining me here on the on the podcast. Today we will discuss how to sell your uh, SaaS business. Um, but before we, uh, we are going to talk this topic, I would like Eric, you to just introduce yourself a little bit, to share with us your entrepreneurial journey and how you maybe story about your uh, startups and, and how you end up where you are at the moment.
1: Sure. So, um, I'm based out of London, UK and, uh, with Aim digital group, which is essentially like an MA advisory for online businesses. So we help founders of e-commerce SaaS apps, you name it. Um, we we help them exit businesses. And um, it's, co- it's quite a common space right now. Um, there's a lot of brokerages out there doing very well. Uh, We're well, one of the players in there. So uh, I would say my journey started off, let's just say 2014. And uh, it, I kind of stumbled again, uh, came across it. And that was just through building a SaaS tool. So or a licensing tool, should I say. So we built a website for BMW car owners. And and that website that tool essentially helps uh car the car owners to program things within the car. So an example of this is, you know, if you jump in a BMW car and you just want to drive quickly, you forgot to put your seatbelt on, you will hear an annoying beeping sound. Of course, it's good for you. <laughs> but uh, some some people find it very annoying, um, especially if you're just going around the corner on a short journey. So you can use this tool to program the sound to go off and uh, you can program stuff like TV uh to enable you to play TV when you're driving of course this stuff is highly against BMW's uh policy because of the safety of the driver but you can go into the dealership to have this programmed it's just this tool allowed you to do it cheaply and efficiently so we were licensing this tool um and it was on a sort of platform so it w- it wasn't your traditional cloud sas um, play it was more of a licensing
0: why did you decide to to sell that tool it was what you couldn't scale it or uh, you didn't see potential or it was a good deal
1: i i sold it for many reasons number one uh it was a small it was it was just me running it solo uh i i'm not the most technical person outsourced you know a lot of technical work to you know asia and um so the, one of the reasons was i wasn't very technical and um i didn't build a sort of on any sort of onboarding or uh, customer success so i had to handle a lot of customer uh, queries and you know it was very very technical stuff and i couldn't service them to the level i felt was required to you know sustain the business so that was a, a huge reason and the last reason was i i just You know, it was my first real venture into this and I wanted to try other things. Um, So, yeah, that was my three main reasons of selling.
0: So, in a way, the business outgrowed you and you would need either to hire or to to sell it.
1: Exactly. And it was bootstrapped, uh, no external funding, you know, stuff like that. So, it was the best thing for me at the time. I was happy to just move on, sell it
0: but so because i'm always thinking in a it's it's like a a dile- dilemma to me because so in a way you just made the hard work so basically what you did you proved that you know there is a problem and that you have a solution and that there is a market for this solution exactly now the next step would be to actually build the product so you know with uh, everything so onboarding customer success a uh, bunch of shiny stuff and so but that's that's the point where i would buy a company <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean yeah so <laughs> so that's that's the common thing I see with entrepreneurs and founders so you've got you've got some founders who are great at creating a product finding a product market fit and that's all they 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 can do that's all they want to do and then you've got someone like yourself who's more into the growth who will take it from you know product market fit to uh, established business thriving business and then the latter part of the journey is you know you exit you ipo you know that's like the the big merger if everything goes well and yeah that's a common thing i've noticed um, and of course everyone will know in business
0: okay interesting journey so you founded a startup you sell the startup and so was at that point that you started with your am digital or or was there any steps in between?
1: um so in between i founded another startup that I didn't do as well um i it was a sort of it was like an art portal it was for creators to upload artwork and stuff like that and um it was just a, a idea again i i came across just researching online that maybe this is something people want but it wasn't it didn't do as well but i still managed to sell that also um but not not it wasn't as successful as the first venture then through that um I, I believe someone uh, emailed me and asked if they saw I sold um, my startups they asked if I can help them sell theirs and I thought to myself okay I can, I can help you you know I've, I've done the journey um I understand what buyers are looking for I know, understand what you need to do to create your sort of sell memorandum to attract buyers, um, market the business. So I took on my first client uh, without knowing he was my first client. So I took that on. That was a a e-commerce business that was selling um, picture frames. It was very niche. And uh, we managed to sell it for him in in about two weeks. So that was the birth of um, AIM Digital Group.
0: Okay. (laughs) Uh so bird from the need. And okay, so let's let, 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 let's um so I would like to discuss this. So how how can someone when is the right time to start thinking about selling the business and how what you have to do in order to what are the steps what you have to do in order to sell your business?
1: Okay, first firstly, um the selling a business can be anything from you know personal goals, maybe you reach a milestone and Or or maybe you're in a situation in your life, uh, you might want to work on other uh, passion projects, you might want to uh, join something bigger, for many reasons to sell a business. So it could be for any reason. Now, what you have to do to prepare your business for sale, it sounds so obvious, but I've spoken to so many uh, founders that don't do the basics. So first things first, from the highest level, you need to understand what how much you would want to sell your business for, firstly. And this is important because a lot of people think that they, they own like a Facebook, so they want billions. <laughs> I'm exaggerating, but they would want loads of millions for their business. And you might just find out, you know, is cash flowing just $100,000 per year? And again, you that's a huge gap in, in valuation. So you need to know what you want and then after speak to an advisor a broker who can manage your expectations right then next thing you need to do is you need to make sure your uh you have you've been tracking and doing your accounting so you've got your PL um for most part depending what the online business is if it's a uh, e-commerce or SaaS, definitely have a PL maybe a balance sheet depending on uh, whether you took uh debt or Did equity financing then um, you want to have at least i'll say two to three years worth of uh, accounting there from that point you also need to make sure that your business you're not the sole person driving a business an example is i spoke to a founder uh, just last week and he has a, a, a marketplace a platform that allows other startups to promote their business is and he you know ask him so how is the business generating income and it's just him you know speaking to founders and uh and charging them to put it on the, the the platform and then he's also reaching out to people externally so the business is surrounding him you know if you remove him out of the business i don't know how valuable it will be so that's a, a a very very you know important point you need to make sure your business is ready to be sold and you might be asking yourself, "Well, how do I know?" So just ask yourself: If I remove myself from the business, could it still earn the same income as earning without um, your presence? And that will, sure enough, give you the answer. I think those are the um, main main points you need to address. So
0: you have to to be realistic about your valuation. Yes. Uh, you have to have a proven track of uh, history of records yes and the business has to operate without you.
1: Yes it, and this if you if you tick all the boxes for that, there's a lot that goes into it. but let's just say these are the main components. you should be able to have a, a very nice exit.
0: Okay, so about the first point, the the valuation how how let's say for the SaaS business, how is there a formula? how can, you know, for for founders to be realistic, how can they evaluate how much they are worth? So
1: what? An, uh, uh so, with evaluation, is is like everything in the, the mar- any marketplace, whether it's property, you know, businesses, stocks. Everything is just about perception of value or supply and demand. If there's a strong demand for the type of business, of course, valuation pushes higher. But um, just to make it simple. For example, an advisor like myself will normally look at comps. So comps is just you know previous sales of similar businesses. So if we're looking at SaaS and we're looking at B2B SaaS, not to get too specific, you might want to see the trend of businesses that sold, not businesses that have been listed. And from there, you can start to see a trend in multiples, um, why it's sold for a certain amount, you can start to see the pattern. And for um, SaaS businesses that are, uh, you know, valued less than five uh, five million dollars, uh, they tend to go for between, I'll say, a three to four X multiple of the profit more, most of the time. But also it could be the revenue dependent on the business and larger SaaS businesses. So five million plus, you know, they they can push for a higher multiple, sometimes 10, 10 X. Um, but they ne- tend to be larger deals with uh, private equities, or so on and so forth. So that's how the valuation typically works.
0: Okay, so that's so the most important metric is revenue.
1: Revenue is, is very, very important for SaaS, of course, for the reoccurring um, income. But also it, that's the most important. But there's how is the business being run? How you getting attracting new leads? What's your churn? All of all of this stuff is, is very, very important. So I'll give you an example another example. Let's say you have a SaaS company, B2B solution, and you know you have a huge social media following. Let's just say on one or two platforms, Facebook, YouTube, that and you've got a content strat- strategy, you've got a team that handles the content strategy, you've got low churn, let's just say five percent and you've got steady flow of new leads, Um, you've got a CTO, someone who handles the technical side, you've got all the, uh, you know, stuff, all the nice things that come with the SaaS business, you know, onboarding, customer service, you are in a position to sell your, your business for maximum value and maximum value, let's just say you're under the 5 million range, you can really push for, you know maybe four to five x multiple uh on the the revenue and yeah that's that's just an example if you if you have things missing within your SaaS company is not the the end of the world it, it's still valuable um any business that generates you know income um for the most part that has customers and you know you're not completely running at a loss is is worth something right so but i've just showed you the you know higher end of things yeah
0: yeah, yeah. okay so that's the first step then i guess the second step so having a, a proven history assuming that then it's already so when you start to think about selling or maybe even before it's then uh, good practice to have those numbers like recurring revenue, churn rates, uh, uh, conversion rates from leads to, to purchase and so on, so that you, you can then later prove your history and how you, you improved your business.
1: Exactly. That's perfect. If, if I'm a SaaS founder, even before you're ready to sell, that's a very great point you made is better to go through the process of you know having everything in place, knowing your numbers, because you never know. Even if you don't want to sell, um, you might want to raise capital. You might want to go through a fundraise, and you know this stuff is very important to know.
0: Because we did some some interviews with um, with SaaS startups or, or or startups with some funding like Series A and stuff, and we found out that you know there is a lot of buzz around tracking and about metrics, but in reality, people are usually don't have those things, let's say, in order because it's simply um, the ideas are usually operated based on the founder's, founder's idea. Uh, so he, usually the founders, they have a great feeling about certain niche or, or certain problem and they have, because of their history or, I don't know, somehow an insight and everything It's built around that idea and the metrics maybe are not that valuable at the beginning. Uh, Maybe the focus is more important than this general idea and how everything is becoming a product. So they are not that focused on churn rate or recurring revenue or, I don't know, uh, conversion rate from free trial to paid uh, until they start to invest heavily. That's what we found out. So at the moment when companies are starting to grow, so when they are starting to invest heavily in marketing, at this moment, those rates are very important, and then it's very important to understand the cohorts and you know what you did in May and how the users from May are behaving through the year, and what you did in June and how users from June are behaving through the year. So I don't know, just see. Exactly. what I, want, yeah. I guess. What I want to say is that you start playing with numbers when you see the benefits. I'm,
1: I' I think I think even at an early stage you can you can know your numbers you know you don't have to obsess over it. Um, it shouldn't take away from your focus um, It depends on your team it depends on who's working in your business. This is something maybe your 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 finance department or your CFO or whoever is in charge of looking over the numbers. you know maybe you can have a meeting w- once a month or once every quarter, if it's not a priority and um, whatever makes sense. But I do think is going to be a benefit, even if you're not looking to sell the business. It's always good to know where you are. It's always good to understand, you know, what are the trends of the business? You might find you've reached a bottleneck on growth or, uh, you know, customers are, are dropping out and you don't understand. So for me, is very important. I don't see I don't see how you you would not get the benefits of it even if you're too busy
0: yeah <laughs> I guess I guess it's also connected with costs you have to invest a little bit into proper uh, tracking tools and uh, so on but I completely agree at least you can do some you can back up your decisions with data which is always a, a good thing uh, yeah. because sooner or later your gut feeling gets you to the wrong place. Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> and then there is the, the last step, removing yourself from the business. This one is a little bit tricky for me because I don't know I mean I, I can understand that later when you know when you have a big team, let's say 15, 20 plus people, you can remove yourself. but I can hardly see or understand how you can remove yourself from the business when you have when you are one man band or when you have like three or five empl- employees.
1: Okay, so yeah, when I what I think when I said, you know, remove yourself from the business, of course, there's there's nuance here, it depends on what stage you are in your business, how big or small. If we're talking about a startup that is under one million dollars uh, in revenue, of course, it's going to be it's going to be hard, right? Because the founder is going to be most likely the lifeblood of the business, but even at that stage, I will say try to outsource as many um tasks you know as much as possible try and have it SOPs so standard operating procedures that someone uh, can come in and follow and take over these tasks and it could be things like to begin with customer service you know you might want um it, let's say you don't have onboarding and and stuff like that you might want to invest in customer service or or a uh, Uh, someone who can handle uh, the success and the queries and of course it is an overhead but if you train one person for example to handle that initially it goes a long way it frees up your time to maybe focus on marketing or focus on working on the product further so I I understand uh, is very hard initially but I think founders should always lead with that thought um in terms of no matter where you are in your company if you want to grow you're going to have to at some point expand you can do so very uh you can do so resourcefully you can if you've got funding then brilliant and even for companies that are doing um millions a year in in revenue i always feel like the the founders should find a competent ceo at some point and and let them so one person a CEO can hire 10 people. So you should spend all your your time finding that one CEO that works, understands your company and lead them to hire and develop the team that will take your company to the next level because some founders are really, really good at establishing a product, building a product, but it don't necessarily mean they're the person who's going to take it from, you know, 1 million in revenue per year to 50 million. Sometimes you need to understand Okay, I've taken it to where I can take it, and you know the next person should come in. But I, I yeah, just I, I think it's confuse...
0: it, it yeah, I think it's called the founder dilemma. So would you like yeah. your company to grow or would you like to be the boss?
1: Exactly, and this is a, I, I speak to founders almost like every day. I speak to at least one person where they're like, "Hey, we're we're stuck at you know we're currently doing." Three hundred thousand uh, dollars in, in sales revenue, but um, I'm kind of burnt out. I feel like I might want to exit. And I, you know, I speak to them. I find out more about their business, and I find that they're handling sales, they're handling marketing, they're handling customer fulfillment, so delivering the service. They're handling managing a small team of, let's say, developers and it's just too much <laughs> you, you can't you can't possibly you know there's only 24 hours in a day i think even workaholics they can probably get maybe 12 hours at the max of productive hours working anything beyond that you're not going to be productive i don't believe personally so it is you need to understand the bottleneck you can't you have you need help <laughs> you're going to need yeah. help or you'll burn out
0: and also the consequence on your personal life, if you yeah. are working 12, 14, or as they say, 16 hours per day, yeah, maybe you can do this for one month, if it's a crisis and you know you you have to to save to save the sheep, maybe you can do this for half a year, but what will happen with your life after that period? You know do you want to keep your relationship do you do you want to keep your wife if you are married <laughs> do, you, do you want yeah. your kids to recognize you I mean it's it's you, you you have to to have some some kind of work-life balance yeah you,
1: you do I, I think it's very important as a human being you know for for ultimate happiness and fulfillment you have to try and balance of course some will argue there's people in the world like Elon musk. You know, he's he dedicates his whole life into his his businesses, his projects. And you can say he's reaped the rewards. You know, uh, I think he might be the first or second richest man in the world right now. Whether or not that was his objective, it just shows how far he's taken it. But of course, um, you can also see maybe in his personal life, he, he might not have the the uh, full family setup up with the wife coming home to the kids. Family vacations. I'm. I'm not Elon Musk. I don't know him, but you know, some will argue. Well, he does that, and he does. He's doing very well. But you need to ask yourself: Is that what you want for yourself? Because he works long hours, but he might not have that sort of family or friendship side of things.
0: But I also think, even even if you are working long hours as a founder, I mean, I think it's very hard to combine the. Uh, strategic thinking stuff with operations because yeah. at, at least i'm i'm really bad at it, at it because you know I, I need a separate day for a strategic stuff because if you have a to-do yeah. list and you know do this do, i don't know accounting marketing uh, and so on you're then focused on on checks i have to do this i have to do this you are in a way like maybe a, a, a machine and when yeah. you are thinking strategically about business You might just spend two hours thinking where your team should focus, which are the most important tasks or when you want to be uh, after one year. And after a day of strategic thinking, you don't necessarily have something to to show, maybe just a a few bullets. But someone has to to do this work and it's it's very valuable for a company. And so if you have too much on your plate, it's uh, just I think it's very hard to combine operations and, and strategic. So uh, that's also one another aspect why you should outsource, why you should uh, find the proper team and, and you know, people who, who you trust that you could leverage or uh, give your your tasks to so that you can then do the most important thing as a founder, which is thinking and, and strategy.
1: Exactly. You, you got it spot on. And by the way, uh, uh, like you said, the argument is, you know, what if they don't have the capital to bring in talent? and stuff like that you know i was just speaking to a founder the other day and we we uh, found a strategy or i spoke to him and found he said he's happy to give up equity um only for the right talent but it's hard to how do you put the two together and i suggested that you know he should have a system whereby let's say for every um, new ten thousand dollars the talent generates so he was talking about sales and marketing so any new ten thousand dollars which is added to the revenue that earns the the um you know the contractor 0.5 percent of the company and this was based off of a uh, their valuation which at the time was at two million dollars for the whole business and you know for every ten thousand dollars the contractor earns the company he buys uh, or earns 0.5% and then um, you, you know he's capped at 20% so he cannot earn anything more than 20% in equity but 20% um, equity if he earns it fully that would have earned the company $400,000 um, in revenue and he he's earned extra money and found someone he can trust and who has a proven formula? So there's creative ways of doing things. Not everything has to be so transactional. Like I need to hire a full-time CMO that will cost me, you know, two hundred thousand dollars for the year, or I need to find a, a perfect contractor and I have to pay him hourly, and I don't know if I can do that. You know, there's there's ways around it. So I'll I'll just pro- advise founders. You know, don't get overwhelmed. Don't get too stuck in just saying I'm the one who's gonna run the business. I think it's healthier, even if you don't have, you know, huge goals of IPO in or exiting for $50 million. I just feel like you, you will do yourself a great favor and a service by growing your business and having the right people like goodish agency who can help you with onboarding and stuff like that uh, and, and marketing, so yeah.
0: Which is uh, harder to sell, e-commerce? sales business or an agency or where are the difference
1: that's a great question i think the hardest to sell would be both all of them have these difficulties but if i have to pick one i would say e-commerce and i will say e-commerce and people will be thinking wow you're crazy like we see a lot of e-commerce businesses being sold with e-commerce there's there's of, of course a drop shipping side of things there's Amazon FBA, Amazon businesses. There is, you know, all sorts of things. The difficulty with e-commerce is when you have a business that's done it right, it's done it perfectly, is worth, is very valuable, and is easier to sell. But there's just a lot of stuff on the market. I don't want to be uh, disrespectful or stuff, but for example, you have a drop shipping business whereby they just drop ship products from AliExpress from China. It's got no real brand and they just run a ton of Facebook ads and, you know, that business is worthless. If I was to be um, quite honest, it's, it's not worth much because once your tactic of Facebook ads dries up, you know, let's say there's not much value in the products that will sh- drop ship from China, it's hard to build a brand. Yeah, you, you, you
0: you, I, I hear you. you don't have a brand and Facebook can change the algorithm, which happens a few times per year. And just like that, your business can be dead. For example, last year with the iOS 14 tracking, a bunch of e-commerce businesses went underwater.
1: Exactly. And that for me, the reason why I picked e-commerce is because I would say for every 100 businesses on the market, I think there's probably nine or 10 great e-commerce businesses. Maybe I'm being a bit too critical, but from my experience, there's just a lot of stuff I wouldn't touch with a stick. You know. <laughs> so so
0: if you are an e-commerce business, you have to work on your brand. Yeah, that's you, you that's need, your takeaway. You have to establish a brand.
1: You have to establish a brand. Have an audience. Engage your audience. A e-commerce brand. You need content. You need marketing collateral. You need you know invest in your product that you're selling don't just go for the cheapest option in china you don't invest in packaging and just drop shipping it because your business will last long because what if someone buys your product and they have a great experience you know everything's experience apple has the, the probably the best experience for buying their products it comes in their lovely white boxing casing is an experience you open it is very clean tidy how many, I don't know it, uh, what you have in terms, but me personally, I have an uh, iPhone, AirPods, MacBook. I buy everything from Apple, you know, and it's not by chance. It's because they've created a brand that is so strong that people will always go to them for certain things. And of course, they're exceptional sort of example, but I believe everyone should be pushing for that.
0: Okay what about if we now move to the saas so uh, what are the issues with selling saas business what the founders have to to take a look at
1: I think the issue with selling saas business is some sometimes you know you have a single founder and he has built a brilliant tool is doing well but he has it's just him you know and what happens is when you he's selling his business a buyer who might not be as technical it might be a portfolio buyer it might be someone who a wealthy buyer who wants to diversify his portfolio they might say you know great product but i i don't know how to run it so can you stay in the in the business whilst we train people to come in and run it some founders say no i want to exit i don't want to be a part of the business i will help you for two three months but I just want my money and I want to retire in the, on the beach, right? Um, so that's one issue is, you know, coming back to what I spoke about, if you're just a single founder, it is not stopping you from running a successful business, but that's one issue. I'll say another issue would be uh, just knowing your metrics. There's some founders who have no idea what their churn rate is or how to even find out what their churn rate is. Which is is pretty pretty bad in a sense because you don't actually know the health of your business. Ultimately, you can bring in ten customers through the door every month, and seven are leaving every month. So you know that's a huge <laughs> that's huge compared to bringing in ten customers every month and then one, two or three are leaving. You know, is these are all very important.
0: Yeah, yeah, because this basically means you have to completely renew your data your your usage base let's say in one year because after one year you don't have any existing customers so your your bucket is like living yeah all over the place Um, okay and what are the issues with the agencies agencies
1: are are pretty good i would say the issues is is number one who have you got an in-house team like full-time you know workers who are handing in customer fulfillment do you have great reviews do you do, what's your um, lead generation strategy are you a- attracting inbound leads whether it's from referrals from your great work is it uh, you're on a great seo great you're ranking for great key terms and stuff like that is important Or if you might have a very good outbound strategy, maybe you've got a very good LinkedIn email outreach. But you know, the more robust the agency is, the more valuable it is. And do do they have customers on on retainer, for example? Do they have a lot of customers, you know, then it turns you can assess in terms of what's the churn, what's the uh, average lifetime value. So I think agencies are great. The ones that are really good are really, really good, of course. The ones where, you know, someone just started something quickly, um, you know, they're trying to figure out. They might have some customers. It may not be as valuable, depending on, you know, where it is. But I think agencies, agencies are great. It's just extremely saturated at the moment. Just like anything really, I
0: guess. Okay, great um how can people uh reach out for you where can they find yes
1: you? they can find me on linkedin I'm, I'm pretty sure we can leave the linkedin uh, link over there of course um our website www.aimdigitalgroup.com um those are the probably the best places to reach us you can reach us through email on the website as well um we're working on um, a lot of stuff this year i get to have the pleasure of working with francy and the team uh, as well so there's a lot of stuff coming and we're going to be um, more accessible on more platforms
0: cool so uh, search for eric on on linkedin and uh, thank you all for listening to this podcast if you have any questions any comments uh, please reach out and uh, stay tuned for the next episodes